0: Okay, as we look at uh, Zechariah uh, chapter eight, uh, chapter eight today, um, Zechariah chapter seven and eight uh, kind of tie together. So, if you remember, chapter seven ends on uh, on the note of God's judgment uh, against the people's um, ritualistic religion. Uh, the, remember, the the delegation from Bethel came to. Uh, The priests and uh, the... The temple, and they sought to, uh, you know, ask about the fast days. Should we keep the fast days, Should, even though the temple is being rebuilt, and and that kind of thing? And we saw all that last week. the The last thing that we saw in chapter seven uh, was that God, uh, you know, God scattered the people and desolated the land. God was reminding them of what He had done because of their sin and their false religion. And you know, this is the reason that judgment happened to them. and And uh, if you remember, the religious people were coming to Zechariah, and they were falling back into the same heartless religion that God had previously uh, judged them for. Uh, so the way, that, uh, the way that chapter 7 ends, uh, you, you might think that the situation for God's people is completely hopeless, but chapter 8 dovetails right behind it, and God proclaims that there is indeed blessing um, that's awaiting God's people. Now, when you start talking about the blessings of God, you're, you know, immediately some people are going to start thinking about money and prosperity and big cars and fancy houses or whatever, uh, you know, and, and if you are blessed in that area, you know, you can thank God for those things. Those things are blessings from God, of course. Uh, but most importantly, and what a lot of people miss is what we're going to see in this chapter, chapter eight of Zechariah, is that the blessing that is first and foremost pronounced to the people is the blessing of God's presence uh his presence among his people and you know that blessing uh of being uh reconciled to god being relationship with god god saying i will dwell among my people and i'll be their god and they will be my people that is the blessing that brings uh the other blessings with it so to speak Um, doesn't mean that you're all going to be rich and all that kind of stuff surely you i hope you know me enough by now to know that that's not what i'm talking about but uh you're going to be blessed as Ephesians 1, 3 says that you know he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. And so even it's interesting that after all the sin and the the indignant behavior that God's people have shown, after God judged them and sent them into exile uh, for 70 years, then graciously released them and brought them back to the land in fulfillment of his word, you know, even after that, after all the things that that God has uh, uh, judged them for the sin that they were in and the grace that God showed them by bringing them back and fulfilling His promise. Even after all that they turned, they were turning to the same kind of selfishness and re- ritual religion that, that got them in trouble in the first place. Uh, the delegation came Wanting to know, well, should we keep this fast when the temple's being rebuilt? And, of course, you saw that, that God rebuked them, saying, you weren't keeping your fast for me anyway. Uh, after all this, uh, we still see in Zechariah chapter 8 that God still says that I will dwell among you. Uh, you will truly be my people, and I'll be your God. Uh, I don't know if there uh, there's not a greater blessing than uh, a holy and perfect God condescending to come and, and dwell with Wretched sinners. I mean, there, there's no greater grace or blessing than that. Uh, don't get me wrong. God's going to speak about in this chapter. He's going to speak about but prosperity, and uh, He's going to speak as about blessings blessing and peace. Uh, and uh, the, the way that Zechariah's you know, prophecy flows, flows speaks of peace, it's not just uh, we'll see that it's God's presence in and with His people that actually brings these blessings. It's God's presence that is the focus of your life. Everything is you know brings truth, completeness, peace, prosperity, and everything else. So beginning. In Zechariah chapter 8, the first two verses read, Then the word of the Lord. Um, then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. Uh, now, the chapter, of course, is um, it's a continuation uh, of chapter seven. So what we're looking at here is God's uh, continuing response to the people that have come asking, hey, should we keep this day? Should we keep this fast day since the temple's being rebuilt? Later on in the chapter, God is going to make reference to all four of the fast days uh, and, and talk about how they're going to be transformed uh in the in the the new era and so what he's what he's doing here he's introducing the the subject for chapter eight, and that's going to be that he is indeed jealous for his people he does indeed love his people um the last thing we saw in uh in chapter seven was uh the the wrath and and uh, uh, chastisement that he had brought upon his people for their sin and for their uh ritualistic religion, and we saw that they were falling back into that and so uh it, it was easy to uh it's easy to think at the end of chapter seven you know that that God is uh, you know, just angry and is going to be judging and how dare y'all and all these things. But, uh, chapter eight opens, uh, God's continuing the response and he, he wants to make sure they know that he does indeed love us. And it's important to keep that in balance. It's important to make sure that we understand that God is both holy and righteous and a just judge of all the earth. Uh, but yet he does love perfectly as well. And whenever you get those two things out of balance, your uh, your theology starts to uh, it starts to falter in one way or another. For example, uh, if you uh, if you focus, I don't even like saying too much on God's righteousness. His His righteousness is, is perfect, and so His justice is perfect. And so, uh, you probably can't focus too much on it. But just for the for the use in our discussion, if you put all the emphasis of your of your thinking in your life on God's justice without love, without His love, you know God turns into You know, just this uh, uh, schoolmaster in the sky who has, you know, all all, he's a rigid legalist that wants you to follow his rules and and the laws can't be broken. And how dare you? And and just just this moral moral um, uh, disciplinarian, I guess, would be the proper term. Uh, if you do that without love, then you, you, you're misrepresenting you're misrepresenting God. But then again, if you put all your emphasis, like so many people do today, on God's love without His justice, then God turns into you know just the big fuzzy marshmallow in the sky that you know just will wants you to have everything that you want, and you know your sin isn't that important, and you just go on and do what you want. It doesn't really matter, and God's a he wink at it, and he'll, you know, and that's uh, certainly most certainly a, a misrepresentation of God. So what we see in chapter 7 and chapter 8 is both aspects of God are are, are clearly portrayed. And he is going to go into great detail uh, describing his love for his people and the plans that he has to, to dwell am- amongst his people. And that's, if you look at the whole, I know I'm getting way off in, into left field here, but if you look at the whole of Scripture, I mean, it can be summed up by by God's plan of redemption so that he will uh, he will dwell in the midst of his people. I mean, Adam lost that in the garden. He lost that when he sinned. He was exiled from the garden. And, you know, you see through the Old Testament and through the prophets, uh, God's continuing promise that I'm going to be their God and they are going to be my people and I will dwell in the midst of them. And you, you, you see that promise made. Uh, over and over again uh, to Abraham and to the, the the patriarchs and then in the prophets, you know, even through the exile, I'm going to bring you back and I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm going to draw you from uh, all the four corners of the earth. and. And then in the New Testament, of course, the, the writers of the New Testament take all those Old Testament kingdom prophe- prophecies, all those promises of God, and they uh, they show that their fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, came and and uh, uh, kept the uh, uh, the minutia of uh, all the the law of God, the perfect righteousness of God. Uh, he, he was without sin, but yet died for the sin of all those that, uh, that he substituted himself for and uh, he died on the cross and, and God poured out that wrath upon him and so now according to the New Testament writers uh, who quote the Old Testament extensively in every book of the New Testament uh, those promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and there is coming a day when the perfect uh, consummation of all things will be fulfilled and God will truly walk again amongst his people just like he did in the garden of eden uh, god will truly uh, make everything that is wrong every everything that is cursed upon the creation uh make it new and so uh long story short if you uh put this, put this uh, promise of blessing in the context of the whole of scripture, uh, what we're talking about here is something that we have a taste of already. The The kingdom has been inaugurated in the coming of Christ. We're going to see all that uh, as we move through this. But um, we uh, we are uh, the prophets. They, they long to look into the things that we've seen. Peter says that in, in his epistle. So anyway it says he is exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with Great wrath, I am jealous for her. Thus saith the Lord, I will verse 3 says, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called a whole, the holy, the holy mountain. And so God the, the the crux of the promise the the focus of it is that God will live again with his with his people. And uh, the temple was being rebuilt at this time and they were hoping that uh, the kingdom would be restored and they were hoping that God would come and and descend upon Jerusalem and, and you know all those Old Testament promises would would be fulfilled and here God is promising to return the glory to the to the people they would be it would again be destroyed um and so what we need to see what we need to see and i'm just going to go ahead and, and frame our discussion because uh because you're going to have to uh you're going to have to get the uh the context of where where we're coming from and i know that there's a lot of people that are going to disagree with me but that's okay Um, Old Testament Israel finds its fulfillment in the New Testament church. I don't know when I say that. Lots of folks disagree with me. Um, But the reality is uh, for the first seven chapters of Acts, the New Testament church was nothing but Israelites. And so it was they were claiming to be the fulfillment of uh, all the promises. Look at Peter's sermons in chapter two and chapter three of Acts. And and we, we can go into great detail about that, but uh, the the remnant of Israel that God uh, promises to, uh, to bring forth is found in the nucleus of the New Testament church. Now, quickly in Acts, it was opened for the Gentiles to come in as well, but the Old Testament Old Testament Israel the perfect Israel God's Israel uh, it finds its fulfillment they didn't the church did not replace Israel the church is the fulfillment of everything Israel was supposed to be uh, Galatians 6:16 6, Paul calls the church the Israel of God uh, he taught that Christians were grafted into the olive tree of Israel uh, those who believe in Christ whether Jew or Gentile were grafted into the olive tree of Israel in Romans 11 uh, the New Testament calls Christ the true temple in Matthew 12 6 and in John chapter 2 uh, it also calls the believers the temple of God in Colossians 6 and 1 Peter 2 uh, the church is the church is the true and spiritual Jerusalem in Galatians 4 Paul says that in Galatians 4 25 and 26 and the writer of Hebrews also says that the church is the true Jerusalem in Hebrews 12 uh, 22 God promises to Israel here are they're not simply symbolic so uh, we're not saying that God didn't make real promises to Israel. They, they were real promises to a real people. God's Old Testament people were involved in the kingdom work that leads through Christ and the church and into the eternal state in heaven. All of God's kingdom people uh, from the old Israel to the new Israel are involved in the same work, the kingdom work by grace through faith. And that's, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 lists, you know, all the way back Abraham and Noah to the to the new testament times and so what god's promising here is that he promises there that he will dwell uh he will dwell with his people and we can see the fulfillment of this if you just stop for a moment and and assess the the new testament realities of these you can see that he he does dwell with his people uh as far as israel is concerned he came to israel he came to old testament israel in, in the form of christ in the incarnation he he as the second person of the trinity took on flesh a real jewish man a real jewish messiah came to the real jewish people uh mm-hmm. in israel and was their messiah and 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 even now he 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 lives within his people the spirit of god uh he's Comes at Pentecost and now uh, he dwells within us. Uh, those who have trusted in Christ have the Spirit inside, and God has fulfilled the promise that I will dwell with my people. Now, there's something that theologians call the already and the not yet. So we have to make sure we understand this. We, we live in a time that is characterized by the already and the not yet. Uh, already, the kingdom has come. Already, uh, the promises have been fulfilled. But yet, there is a sense in which that we are waiting for the consummation, the perfect fulfillment of all these things, when there will be no more curse, there will be no more sin, there will be no more pain, death, dying, all the things that... Uh, were uh, in, indicative of Adam's fall and the and the cre- resulting creation. Uh, so we live in the the tension of the already and the not yet. So when I say that the you know these promises have been fulfilled in Christ, uh, I am saying that He is the fulfillment of all things, uh, but that uh, the kingdom promises have been inaugurated in the Acts and uh, the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the uh, the, the the birth of the church in Acts chapter two. Those promises, those kingdom promises, those things that have been prophesied by all the prophets and all the things that have come before, they have been inaugurated in Christ, and they have been uh, they are they have begun the kingdom of earth is real, the kingdom of earth kingdom of heaven is real, and it is here on earth, uh, but there is also a sense where there's coming a day when when of course when when Christ returns that uh, that kingdom will be uh, perfected and consummated and and it will become a, uh, a uh, uh, tangible physical reality in the in the creation, um, and so he says, "I will dwell with." Uh Zion and then uh, Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain Now, notice that he says that it's God's presence it's going to bring truth and holiness he says it's going to be called a city of truth and it's going to be called uh, the holy mountain uh, there is a a spiritual renewal that takes place when God's presence descends uh, when God indwells he brings the, the, the revelation of truth uh, and put this way uh, he brings the Holy Spirit inside the believer brings the conviction of sin brings the understanding of true righteousness and so you, you get a sense of uh, when he says it will be a city of truth uh, and of course, I you know, the promises were made to real people really working in the city of Jerusalem, but they find their ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem, the true Jerusalem, the one that comes down out of heaven, the one that is uh, uh, adorned for, a, you know, as a bride for a husband. And so uh, we see that uh, that with God's presence, God's presence. Is what is promised here, but that presence also brings with it truth and holiness, a spiritual renewal. uh You know, when when you're when you're renewed by truth, when he says a city of truth, when you will be characterized by the truth, uh, it's a spiritual renewal that's brought about by the word of God. Uh, John seventeen seventeen he he tells uh, he tells. Uh, god in his high priestly prayer sanctify these people in truth and your word is truth he says that to to the father and so god is is present in in the preaching of his word the believing of his word as his people trust in in the truth and the truth is revealed to them as god's presence uh indwells and infills and grows his believers it'll be a a a more an increasingly apparent realization of of his truth, And when, you know, we've seen it before in chapter seven, when, uh, when God's people step out from under that umbrella of truth, God will come and discipline them. He will come and chastise them. He will come and teach them in Titus. One of my favorite verses, Titus chapter two, verse 11 and 12, it says that uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then it says teaching us that, uh, to lay aside ungodliness and unrighteousness, we are to live, uh, uh, soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And so what it does is that, that grace that we, we so cling to, and of course we absolutely need, is not just a grace that hangs a forgiven sign over your head and then walks off. It's a grace that continually teaches you and instructs you in truth. And God's presence also brings holiness. Uh, Jerusalem will be a holy mountain, is what he says. Uh, those people that are dwelling with God, so to speak, uh, God is dwelling with his people, uh, uh, those people that are characterized by the indwelling of the spirit of God the presence of god they're characterized by by holiness god 's presence in believers produces holiness it's it's that simple. Uh, Hebrews chapter twelve uh, says that oh, I think it's chapter thirteen. It's either twelve or thirteen. Says that without holiness, that no one will see the Lord. And uh, we can, of course, the one from Titus I just quoted to you. Uh, you can see this all through the all through the Scripture. Uh, the promises that God made in the New Covenant in Jeremiah. He says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, and I will uh, I will cause you to keep my commandments. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I I will, I will uh, uh, give you a heart that desires to be holy. Now, of course, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about, you know, absolute. You know, I never sin. I never make a mistake. All that kind of thing. We're talking about a new heart that desires holiness and it's characterized by holiness. I like to say. Uh, Tell people that uh, you know if I took a a snapshot of something that you were doing at a certain point in time, uh, I might, uh, very possibly, very probably, could catch you in a uh, in a pose in that photo uh, that uh, you know you. People would say, wow, you can't be a Christian and do that, you know, because even Christians sin, even Christians fall, fail, all those kind of things. But if I took a movie of your life, if I took a video of of your life and showed the progression of your life, it would show a progression toward holiness. Uh, yes, you will do stupid things. You will sin. You will fail. You will grow. You will be disciplined. You will. These things are part and parcel of the life of, of faith, uh, the life indwelled by the Spirit. But uh, the idea that uh, I have been saved, I have been filled with the presence of God, and that's what God is promising here in Zechariah chapter eight. I have been filled with the presence of God, and I have no desire for holiness, no desire for righteousness, no desire for anything that God, you know, wants of me or has called me to or commands of me. That is a creature that the the Bible does not speak of. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, you might as well say I'm a unicorn because the the uh, uh, the actual teaching of scripture is that when God dwells among his people, holiness is the result. Uh, obedience is the result. Obedience is the byproduct of salvation. Uh, and so he says, you know, I'm going to come and dwell with my people. And uh, when I do dwell with my people, then they will be characterized by truth and they will be characterized by holiness. He said, Jerusalem will be a, a city of truth. Mount Zion, a." uh, characterized by holiness uh, and so when God's presence come it brings those characteristics now that's not all it brings we also see in verse 4 and 5 that God's presence will bring peace and prosperity yes it will I mean you can't let's not shy away from the actual biblical teaching uh, just because because some TV evangelists have have, uh, have raped these passages of their meaning uh, verse 5 says and the streets of the city will be filled." Filled with boys and girls playing in the streets, thus saith the Lord. If it is Oh, I skipped a verse. Verse four says Thus saith the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand, because of age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. And so what you're what you're seeing here is not just a uh, uh, it 's not just a picture of you know hey everybody's having a good time but what you're seeing is that Jerusalem is what he was saying would be a place where the young and the elderly uh, were safe uh, the reality is that when when people came to conquer a nation uh, the first ones to go were the elderly and the young the ones who couldn't fight the ones who couldn't protect themselves the ones who were the most vulnerable uh, when when war took place uh, when things were uh, when things were uh, 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 coming against the city you would uh, you would find the people here described here old men and old women uh, and and little children they would not be out in the street out in the open where they were vulnerable they would be hiding they would be uh, they would be making sure that they uh, they uh, making sure that they uh, were uh, safe where they were you know Nothing could could harm them. And so uh, what we see here is that the city is so safe and protected and without worry, without fear, without uh, uh, anticipation of evil falling upon them, that uh, the old men, the old women will again sit in the streets. And and, and you know, I get a picture in my mind of just uh, the community out Fellowshipping together and laughing and and these things children playing and you know that that's the kind of picture that's that's given here and the picture for us in the 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 new testament reality of these things is that we have been given every spiritual blessing and so we are we are completely protected and safe you can see that all through the new testament uh you can see that the uh, we are more than conquerors through christ jesus that all things work together for good if god can be for me who can be against me. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Uh, rejoice in your suffering, because you know over and over again the the uh, temporal things that go on in this world are not. Um, are being used by God for our good, for our growth. And so it's not like, well, God's up there and he's just took his eyes off me for a few minutes and now tragedy has struck. No, even when tragedy strikes, I know that God is in control and it's meant to grow me in some some way or another. It doesn't often not always seem apparent and it's, it's not an easy truth to grab hold of when you are the one going through suffering. I, I grant you that. Uh, but uh, we have been given, Ephesians 1, Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, It may not mean material or temporal blessings. It's true. Often, to be honest with you, material or worldly blessings, worldly wealth is no blessing at all. It's a curse. It usually ends up, uh, you you see this all all the way through the book of Judges. I've been reading through the book of Judges here recently. And as a as a pastor, you see it all the time. the The people who are the most blessed, the most comfortable, the most uh, without worry, the most at ease, are the ones who are drifting further and further and further away from God. It's through adversity and it's through suffering and it's through the things that we go through in this life that that God pulls us back to Him, and we are we see that we need Him. We see that we need to depend on Him. Um, true peace and prosperity is not just having a bunch of money and a big house it's it's having peace with God the believer has peace through Christ perfect peace with God your relationship is is one of perfection the father looks down and sees nothing but the perfection of his son no circumstance could remove this peace it doesn't matter you can imagine the worst thing that could ever happen to you in life Uh, but even if it befalls you uh, even if more than one thing befall you one right after the other And there's just, it just seems like no end to the suffering. Uh, Nothing, no circumstance in this life can remove you from the peace that you have uh, with God through Christ. He has prosperity, uh, you know, in that everything that happens to him, the person that's, you know, in relationship with God, it is guided by God so that he will be conformed to Christ. And usually that involves pain. I mean, you would say it like that, but it usually does. Everything that happens is, is for his good, is for the person's good who is in relationship with God. And that, my friends, is true prosperity. Now, you may say, well, that's easy to say. Well, you know, you're not going through nothing. Yes, uh, you know, that that may be true as I sit here and. You know who knows what what you're going through that that's listening to this, but uh, as a hospital chaplain, I can tell you that I, I'm I'm sitting and visiting with people uh, on a daily basis that I, I'm at the hospital with that are going through all kinds of things. And uh, to be honest with you, I I don't bust off in somebody's room and say, hey, don't worry about it. Everything's good. God's working for you. Good, so it's all good. And and you know, shake your hand and leave. You know, we we're called to empathize and suffer with those who suffer. To Mourn with those who mourn, and so uh, it's not an easy truth to uh, uh, communicate when you're right in the midst of suffering. It's not easy to do that, uh, but it, it is true nonetheless. And, and so we see that God's promise is that he will dwell with his people and that his presence will bring these these glorious truths uh, it will bring it bring truth i mean it'll bring holiness it'll bring peace it'll bring uh, prosperity uh, and in the, the biblical sense of prosperity is not just you know financial prosperity it's, it's spiritual prosperity i will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ i will grow in the fruits of the spirit i will be prosperous Uh, if I am in relationship with God because God's working all things for my good. Uh, And so in verses 6 through 9, we're going to see you know, I know I spent a long time on those, but verses six through nine, we're going to see the the response to God's promise. Uh, God's promises, the promises that He make makes He calls for us to respond to them. He calls for us to respond to those promises. Look at look at uh, verse six. He says, "He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts: If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight?' Now." Uh, if uh if you have I think the the english standard version or the the King james version will use uh, will use the word uh, not difficult but marvelous or or wonderful let me switch over here and look at it yes the King James uses marvelous and the word the root for the word is pala which means it has a big semantic domain it can mean Great or difficult, it could mean wonderful. It does mean wonderful in different uh, in different contexts. It could be hard or hidden or, or you know, talking about miracles, things that are, are just don't happen very often. And so, even though it could be translated, and it's a perfectly valid translation to say marvelous. If it's too marvelous, if it's wonderful in the sight of the remnant of the people in those days, will it also not be wonderful in my eyes? Uh, the, the point of what he's saying is that, uh, is it too hard for me to do? I mean, do you, do you doubt it that much? Uh, he's, he's proclaiming these promises. And he says, do you think this is too wonderful? I mean, in the sight of the remnant of the people that's going to be in these days, and remember the remnant, uh, in, in my view, it's always going to be interpreted by the New Testament reality. Of the remnant uh, of Israel was the the, the nucleus of the, the Jews making up the New Testament church. Uh, and so he says, uh, if it's too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight? He says, "Do you think it's too much for me? I mean, honestly, do you think it's too much? You're, you, they're here building this temple. Uh, they're they're here, you know, uh, trying to reestablish Jerusalem. The community was very small. Uh, the most of the <clears throat> excuse me, most of the exiles." were still in uh, in Babylon uh they hadn't returned yet only a uh, a few waves had returned uh how could god return the glory to the land to this little insignificant place when they're being ruled by this uh, great king of persia and, and all these things are going on uh, god wants them to know you know understand that these promises are not too difficult they're not too difficult for me uh, they're not too wonderful that, that, that they can't happen uh, with god of course we know that all things are possible uh, the promises of god that he's giving here and the promises of god for you and i they require faith god is often called the lord of hosts and that's what he's that's what he's called here in this in this text if you say let's say the lord of hosts uh, uh if it is too difficult the sight of the remnant of the people of those days will it also be too difficult for me uh, a lot of times we don't uh, we don't really realize what uh, lord of hosts means but the word hosts is uh it, it means armies uh the the armies, the Lord of armies, and so he's sovereign he's sovereign over all armies he's sovereign over all nations he's sovereign sovereign over all things and so uh um you know we see nothing is to he he in isaiah he says he he raises up nations and he casts down nations and and so the the people were being told you know don't live as though as though these are impossible to happen yes i can I can make it where your old men and your old women and your little kids are out in the streets playing without fear. I can make it where the city's protected i can I can fulfill the promises that I've made to your people and and even as believers today we we so often live as as though we don't trust the promises now, if you were to ask me. If you were to walk up to me and say, you know, do you believe that this promise is a reality uh, and that God truly keeps his word? My answer is going to be yes. You know, if you're a Christian, your answer is going to be yes. You go through the church house and you'll say, do you believe that that, uh, you know, uh, God is working all things for your good? You, absolutely. You'll you'll get yeses from it from everybody. Absolutely. No problem. But we live as though we don't trust the promises. Uh, perfect example acts, acts chapter 12 the people you know were praying that Peter would be released from prison uh, but when Peter was released from prison and he knocked on the door uh, they didn't believe it was him you know the what was it the, the girl opened the door and she slammed it slammed it in his face she thought she'd seen a ghost or something they, they weren't trusting that it was actually possible it was actually possible that God would uh, fulfill his word I, I was told a story. Just this week of uh, a Sunday school class, and this is a church in another town, uh, somebody who was in the Sunday school class told me this story, that they they prayed for the healing of an individual that was... Uh, you know in the hospital or whatever i don't know the exact circumstances but the sunday school class said you know with a prayer request we need to pray that god would just heal him and so they got together and they prayed that god would heal this man and then as soon as they said amen they took up a collection for the flowers for his funeral i mean the guy ain't even dead yet i mean is that that's not praying with faith that's not believing that's not trusting that it's possible uh and of course i know that not everybody's healed i'm not i'm not saying anything about word of faith or anything kind of nonsense like that i'm just saying you know james says if you pray you pray believing. you know I, i understand that nothing is too hard for god you live as though uh god will keep his promises when you pray for rain you better take an umbrella with you when you go to work because god is a god that that keeps his word and can do anything uh they will say that it is uh, going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom, which, uh, honestly, I, I find no, no scriptural basis for. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, and you know I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Uh, but in Acts chapter 2, the people, the Jewish people, the Israel, who were dispersed among the nations, who had never returned, were regathered they were regathered in the culmination of the spirit coming the culmination of the promise uh it says verse verse 8 says verse 7 says no. Let's start in verse 5. It says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, it's talking about the sound of uh, the mighty rushing wind, the sound of uh, the Galileans speaking in the, the languages of all the people. The crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking? Why are not all these speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear each in our own language to which we were born Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Now, remember, he says that verse five, that these were all Jewish men from all these different nations. And I'm not going to take the time to do it now. But if you you uh, take the time to follow the the list of these uh, nations, they represent both the dispersions of the northern kingdom. When Assyria uh, scattered them and took them in, across the across their empire and the dispersion of uh, Judah. And the nations that they were that they were sent to, and so this is the the regathering of the people, and they're regathered under the banner of Christ. They're all Jews. All Jews are proselytes. All from different nations. All born in different nations because of the dispersion, and yet they are regathered in Jerusalem when God comes to dwell among His people in the in the. In the incarnation of Christ and in the descending of the Holy Spirit, God has come to dwell among His people, and the promises uh, of that restoration, where God would bring His people back to Himself, are fulfilled in that in that chapter when all the nations uh, of the uh, all the nations of the empire are uh, Jews from all those nations came back to Jerusalem, probably pilgrims for the Feast of Pentecost, but they came back, and it says just in those intervening days after Pentecost. And then the next few chapters of Acts, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were being converted. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish people were being converted to the church. And at that point in time, the church was nothing but Jewish people. And so this is where I I see the fulfillment of of all these things going on. A lot of people are going to disagree with me. And that's okay. It's, It's not, you know. It's not something I'm I'm gonna argue with you about or anything like that. The point is wherever you find the fulfillment, the point is we know that there is a fulfillment. God will keep his word, his word is trustworthy, and it requires us to respond in faith. That's the point of the text. In verse nine, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to end to the end that the temple might be built and remember he's making real prophecies to real people it <clears throat> he's telling them listen you need to believe you you need to respond in faith. It's not going to be too hard for me. I'm going to regather my people. Uh, and then he says, and you need to let your hands be strong. You're here listening, you are who are listening to me by the mouth of the prophets and those who spoke before, uh, even in the day when the foundation of the house was laid, uh, to the very end, the point of what I'm telling you is that you need to get your hands busy so that the temple will be built. Remember, the people were building the temple during Zacharias Day. And so what we see here is that God's promises, they're going to require a response. They're going to require the response of faith, and they're going to require the response of service and obedience. God's made many gracious promises, and these promises uh, engender strength for the people to continue the work of building the temple. That's what they were that's what the the immediate context is. Uh, true reception of God's promises is evidenced by a servant's heart, and that's not a very popular thing. I think it was Tim Hawkins or somebody who said, uh, when you tell somebody they have a, a servant's heart, what you really mean to say is go get them chairs and stack them up. You know, it's not a very fun or popular thing to talk about today. But true reception of God's promise will be evidenced. It will be evidenced by faith and truth and holiness and and service uh, in that day as the day that Zechariah was making these prophecies serving the kingdom serving the in the history of redemption uh, meant rebuilding the temple uh, but God has given us perfect and complete promises as well the building of the kingdom in our day is, is the helping to build the church helping to build the body of Christ helping in the evangelism of the lost helping to edify the brethren uh, fellowshipping with the brethren, representing God to all men, loving one another—those, all those commands that Jesus commanded us. That's that's our service. That's what we are called to do, and it is. Uh not that we'll never fail, not that we'll never fall or or anything like that, but God's given us a heart to desire these things. He's given his people a heart to desire service. I mean I know that's amazing. It doesn't even sound right, but it's it's uh, it's actually true. And so, I was speaking to a a lady just the other day and uh uh I was inviting her to come in fellowship at a certain occasion uh a so lady that doesn't doesn't do much fellowship, and and so she said she would try. You know, I'll try to come. And I said, well, why don't you just tell me that you're coming? And she says, no, I'm not going to promise. I'm not going to tell you I'm coming because I may not come. And she said, I'm going to try to come. And I said, well, what does try to come look like? I mean, how do you try to come? You either you either come to the fellowship or you or you don't. I mean, if you desire to come, then you will come, and if you don't desire to come, then you won't come. I don't know what trying to come means. I mean, uh, and, and so. So the, the point of the whole interaction was she didn't want to come. Uh, I was asking her to come. I ex- showed her the need to come. I, all those things were, uh, you know, they're irrefutable. But her heart didn't want to come. And to me, that shows that something there's it's a big, huge red flag. Big, huge red flag flying up. Something's wrong with my heart. Uh, I don't want to fellowship with the brethren. And, of course, there's a lot of issues that go go with that. You know, sometimes the brethren, you know, can be very mean and spiteful. And we work through all those things. But the, God has given us a desire to build the body, to serve in the kingdom, just like he gave them the desire. So verses 10 through 13 is we're going to see the effects, the effects of God's blessing. We've we've been given God's blessing, uh, promised God's blessing. We saw the the uh, the response uh, to God's blessing. And then from 10 to 13, we're going to see the effect. It says for for behold, those days. But for before those days, excuse me, there was no wage for man or any wage for animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no place because of his enemies. And I set all men one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there will be peace for the seed. The vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all things. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Understand that in verse 12 it says, for there will be peace for the seed. When you talk about the the seed, We're talking, so about, uh, we're talking about, we're talking all the way back uh, to Genesis. Genesis uh, points us uh, God promises. It's called the proto-evangelium, Christ, uh, being God's promises. And it also points us to the seed of Abraham between the seed of the woman and the seed give you uh, of the seed the serpent. And many nations. And that be seed blessed, promise, blessing to uh, uh, the earth and all those things. The, and Paul tells us in Galatians that God would provide salvation directly. God would bring forth his son, Jesus, was the seed of the see these blessings there will be promise. peace. There will be, be the, the seed of the woman's fruit. The man will seed of the woman because Jesus had no uh, earthly earthly father. Of this people, was, uh, the remnant now of this people will inherit all these things, and it'll come about as just as you were cursed, I'll make you a blessing. Don't be afraid. Let your hands be strong. Uh, before God's blessing, there was no prosperity. He said, you know, I, I did this. I turned each man against himself. The economy, there was no productivity. And all this is described in Haggai chapter one. Uh, nothing was working for their benefit. Nothing was going right. Uh, but before God's blessing, there was no relief from adversity. Every man was against each other. Every man was self-centered. Every man is simply out for his own good. And you, you see that in the sin of mankind before before God's redemption changes his his heart, uh, but God promises to bring blessing to the remnant. He, uh, he relents from his judgment on, on Israel. He said, I will be different in these days. I will be different to you than I have been before, is what he tells them. Verse 11, he said, you know, that he would bring prosperity to all the remnants work. Uh, You know, for instance, the vine will produce, the sky will bring rain so that their crops will grow and and all those kind of things. That's verse 12. Uh, God will give the remnant possession of the blessings. Uh, And and this is seen all throughout the New Testament. Believers are made joint heirs with Christ. We're not tiptoeing to stay in God's grace. We have the possession of these promises. Believers are we, we own a share by grace of these promises. Promises, so to speak, and so God's salvation uh, is perfectly given to this remnant, this remnant of His people, and, and God's salvation causes His remnant to bless others. You remember the promise Abraham said, "I will make you a blessing, and through you, all the nations of the world." will be blessed. Uh, in verse 13a uh, it's ta- the beginning of verse 13 it says those outside grace, you know, what are they? They're, they're a curse to others. It says it, it, it'll come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O oh, house of Judah, house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That's what he promised Abraham. Uh, before they could only influence negative, negatively. Uh, they could only, like Jonah running from, from the from God, uh, the sailors on the boat that he was on, he he sure influenced them negatively, you know, in, in his rebellion. Uh, but it says there, there's going to be a time. He says, uh, that "When when grace comes upon you, when my presence comes upon you, that you're going to be a blessing to others. They they live for God." Means you're going to serve others and love others and do all these things. I often tell people that are uh, getting married or whatever. If you put Christ first, you're going to be the you're going to be a great husband. You're going to be a great wife. Uh, you don't have to focus on being a great whatever. Uh, you all you have to focus on is serving Christ, and in serving Christ, you're going to be uh, a better husband or a father or, or whatever those things because Christ demands that of you. And so uh, we're going to have to stop because it's gone. Very very long, but uh, the final all the way up to seventeen we 'll stop there uh, the new heart is demonstrated uh, uh, of God 's remnant the the last part of verse thirteen i 'm probably just going to read these because we 've gone on long enough it says don't fear let your hands be strong for thus saith the Lord of hosts just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to rest said the Lord of hosts and I have not relented so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah do not fear Fear. These are the things which you should do. It says, speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Bring righteous judgments, what he means. Verse 17, also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another and do not love perjury for all these things are what I hate declares the lord now if you take a we can take a i could take you to the new testament i could show you that these exact same things are what jesus commands of his people um what it's showing is that the the remnant is delivered from from god's wrath they're not given a spirit of fear he says do not fear uh god has given them a spirit of power he says walk in the spirit without fear god's provided for for every event everything that you need um before salvation god only has wrath for the sinner just what he says you know uh before there was nothing but wrath but now uh, i'm going to uh, i'm going to bring blessing i'm going to bring my presence uh uh before salvation you know god didn't repent of his wrath which means he didn't pull back his wrath. but he is good and you know in his in his holy effort to eradicate sin and punish sinners but after salvation after the the uh the intercession of Christ, the substitution of Christ, God has given believers nothing but love and mercy, even in their hardships, even in their hard times. His, his wrath is no longer pointed toward the sinner who is in Christ. His wrath is poured out on Christ. And so the response to that, the heart that has been saved, the heart that has been redeemed, it does these things. Verse 16, and 17, it speaks truth, practice truth and righteous judgment. Don't plan evil in your hearts. Don't lie. And you know, the summary of all these things is what Jesus, Jesus said uh, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, this is what God expects. This is the response to the presence of God and to the holiness of God, to the grace of God, to the salvation of God. And so the promises of God are absolutely real. They're absolutely vital. He keeps his word and he does exactly what he has planned uh, and promised to do. And we can see I've, I've taken you through each step and I've, I've spent a long time actually, but I, I've taken you through each step of the promises of his argument, the argument of, you know, this is what I promise you this is what i'll bring you this is the blessing that i will give and i'll sh- i've shown you that each one finds its perfect fulfillment in the new testament in the in christ in uh, the salvation that christ brought to the remnant of his people and that remnant is what we are now included in as uh, gentiles but uh, there will also be a day when this promise these promises that have been made uh, culminate in a perfect reality that is tangible physical when all creation is made new and there will won't be any more sin anymore, and we will dwell with Christ. We will dwell with God. We will walk amongst him as Adam did in the cool of the day. He will be our God, and we will be his people, and that's the day that it will all be consummated.